Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day of life and just what beautiful sunshiny weather outside. But thank you that for these next few moments, we can be inside together studying this important topic of the Sabbath school. Please bless our time together today. Help it to be um, a benefit, not just an enjoyment in the room, but help it to be practical for when we go back, we can have the right thoughts and the right ideas and, and um, new perspectives on how to revive this vital ministry that is the Sabbath school program. So to that end, Lord, bless us today, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I think it's probably a good time to start up. I don't have a pen for you today, but if you have a pen, please just sign in. They like to keep track of that. And um, Yeah, I've never quite understood that. And this is a good thing to kind of talk about this here, because in a Sabbath school group, I hope you take attendance. Okay, if you're not, start. If you do, kudos. Good for you. Um, and we're going to talk about that when we get to the format of small groups, but why that's an important thing. But I do notice that for some reason, like we have these upcoming Jesus on Prophecy meetings, and we've had Unlock Revelation and all the different public evangelism uh, series that we've done. And invariably, every single time, and rightly so, we track our interests, right? You want to know how many people came, and not just a raw number. You want to have a name and a face and an address. We want to have contact information. We want to know how many nights they came to what me. When did they stop coming? Like as soon as you preach the Sabbath and they stop coming, what does that? That's an indicator. Like oh, we touched on a nerve there. Something's gone. Got to go visit them. You know. So we keep track of those kind of things. And why do we keep track? For follow up, right? But it's because we care about them enough to track, right? And what's astonishing to me, we have no problem with people we've never met before walking out on night number one and handing them a barcode and saying, hang on to this, we're going to count how many times you came. We're upfront about it, as we should be. We shouldn't be tricking them, you know. And they're like, okay, I get it, you know. And plus we incentivize it. If you come this many times, you get a free Bible or we're going to have a free drawing. We, we want to encourage that good behavior, right? Yet in the Sabbath school and in the rest of the local church, as soon as someone becomes a member, all accountability is out the window. What if we handed a barcode to every one of our members? We're going to count how many times you come to church. <laughs> See, look, it's laughable, right? But we have absolutely no problem, straight face, handing a barcode to a complete stranger saying, we're going to count how many times you come to church. They're not even members. We hold our visitors to higher standards of accountability than we hold ourselves. That is a problem. Also, this is a little soapbox, and it's not on our topic for today, but it just got my mind going because we're passing around this thing. But I would love to see, and I can't wait to say this for tomorrow, but there should be some accountability, not for the sake of like, I'm checking up on you, see if you're not, but it's a benefit and a blessing to those people to be missed if something happens, right? How do you know? Like, when we go through, and well, I have to save it for tomorrow, but you got to come back to tomorrow. you got to come back, or actually for, um, what is that, Thursday? We'll save that discussion for Thursday, okay? It's an important one, but we could go too long, and we got to get to our Bible studies. Okay. Now, as I mentioned, I do have a handout for you today. If you want the full color copy, you go, well, I don't know, because I know that we're going to run out. Um, if, if someone wants to stick around afterward, and if you don't get one, here, we can just start these up somewhere, I don't know. Uh, and then, if someone doesn't get one... Um, come see me afterwards. We'll run down to the copy machine. We'll make you another one. Okay? So it's totally available. You just may not have it in the room today. This whole week is about the whole Sabbath school program. Today, we're talking about Bible study and prayer. 
the Bible study class time, okay? So all of it is in there, but we're specifically looking at the teaching of the Sabbath school lesson time, that thing today. Okay, thank you for that. Now, let's take out, if you don't have your Bibles, I've got uh, some text in there. Why is, like for instance, remember our history lesson yesterday? What was the very, who was the very first person to write a Sabbath school lesson? James White. Why did he do that? Now, it was particularly suited, he was aiming for what demographic when he was writing? Children, right? But for children and adults, it became the, the study guide. But why is it important for children and adults to have a Bible study? Why is it important? Like, it makes, I, if we ask you, why do you have an evangelistic campaign? You're like, so I can learn the truths, right? But why is it important to have an ongoing study once you already know the truth? Yes, thank you. There's spiritual growth. There's continued growth. You're still learning. I wanted to show you a passage here in Acts chapter 2 that kind of need, that we need to revive in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Acts chapter, come on in, come on. Good to see you. How you doing? Acts chapter 2. And it's just a really short discussion here, but I will say this. I believe the Seventh-day Adventist church needs to be more Pentecostal. Now pause before you get all hyped up and start speaking in tongues on me. Let's see what we mean by that. For instance, when I say the term Pentecostal today, what images conjure up? What comes to your mind? Speaking in tongues, rolling the floor, loud music, you know, big hand waving kind of stick, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, faith healing, you know, be healed. You know, I grew up in the South. I, I, uh, every Sunday morning there was that kind of stuff on the TV, you know. Um, but when you look at the Acts chapter 2, when you look at the day of Pentecost, well, for instance, how much music was involved in the day of Pentecost, according to Scripture? None. Now, that's not to say they didn't sing some songs at all, but clearly was it the big driving demonstrative thing that made everyone change? No. no it didn't even make it in the Bible at all. How about faith healings? Nope. Not one. Now, the gift of healing is legitimate. If the Lord wants to raise up the sick, praise the Lord. We should ask for that. But was big faith healing crowd? Ple- no. Wasn't a thing. How about speaking in unintelligible tongues? Nope. Wasn't even mentioned. In fact, the Bible goes out of its way, even though it says the gift of tongues, it lists out the languages that were spoken. And they said they were confused, not because they couldn't understand, but because they could understand. They said, what does this mean? How is it possible that this has happened, that it's so clear and understandable? So what made Pentecost so powerful? And the easy answer, and the clear answer, the first answer, is the Holy Spirit was poured out. But they were with one accord. Okay, but how was that manifest? The Spirit of God was poured out at the beginning of the day, but the people weren't converted till the end of the day. Thank you. You look at Acts chapter 2, and what does Peter do? Has everybody had a chance to sign in? If not, we'll just keep passing around the aisles here. Just pass it until it's passed out. Um, preaching the word, right? He's pre- yeah. So, when Peter got up to preach, the Bible records 26 verses of a sermon. Okay? Of those 26 verses, 13 of them are just quotes from Old Testament scriptures, prophecies. Okay? 11 verses are the explanation he gives of those passages. So he quotes it, 
And then he explains what it's saying. And the last two verses are an appeal. Okay, so we see this in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 30, I believe it's 6. Therefore, he comes to the conclusion, after all of this biblical evidence, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. They could know for certain that what he was saying about Jesus is true because he based it on an explanation of the scriptures and the prophecies, right? This leads to this, therefore this. And in their case, the therefore was you killed your own Messiah. You got to remember, Pentecost was only 50 days after the events of Passover where Jesus died. These people were the very ones saying things like, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Of course, we know demons were in the crowd that day stirring them up. The religious leaders put a lot of pressure. It was a big mob mentality. But now, a little almost two months later, things have calmed down. Their head is clear. And Peter, Peter the same Peter who was cowering by the fire, you know, now comes up, I'll tell you what the, and he just preaches a fiery sermon, literally a fiery sermon. <laughs> and it was that reception of that word, it convinced them that it was true. But then it says, look at verse 37. Um, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, right? They weren't just convinced in the mind that they were convicted that that truth not only was true in the abstract, but it directly applied to them, right? They were cut to their own hearts, and they said to Peter and the breast of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So they, I want you to notice the three-step of the decision process. Number one, you have to be convinced that it's true, and that's what Scripture does. It convinces you of the truth. It's self-authenticating. You look at the, the prophecies, and you see it's so clear. It must be true. Then, the second step immediately follows, is if that's true, then it applies to me in this way. Once you see that the seventh-day Sabbath is true, that's one thing, but then you recognize I'm going to church on Sunday, that's the second thing. Then not only is this true, but I'm out of harmony with it, right? And I'm, convic I'm now convicted in my heart, i got to line up with this truth, right? And they say, what do we do? And praise the Lord, he didn't say, oh, there's nothing you can do. I just wanted to tell you your, your laws. You know? <laughs> and he said, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. No, he, he said, you know, let every one of you repent and be baptized. And look at this precious promise. For the promise of this, for the promise, this verse 39, is to you and to your children. What had they chanted? Let his blood be on us and on our children. He said, look, you and your kids are going to be, if you understand and you accept, so they're convicted, they're con I mean, they're convinced in their mind by the word of God, they're convicted that it applies to them by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then they make a choice to be converted. Now watch what happens when they make a choice. Verse 41 again tells us the basis of their revival, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So now we have baptized members by the way, not just of Jesus in a generic spiritual sense. Look at the text again in verse 41. It said, in that day, they were added to whom? Them, and not him, capital, I, capital H-I-M, but they were added to them. Notice that anytime you come to Christ through baptism, through repentance, that you become a part of the body of Christ, which is the church. Right? 
There are plenty of people these days who would love to be connected with Jesus but have no connection with the church. But Christ is the head of the church. Yes, the church is the body of Christ. And if you try to separate the head from the body, that's a decapitation. People want to serve a decapitated Christ. They want to be part of the head, but have nothing to do with the body. But that's not the model that the Bible gives us. We come into the church. Now, once they were in the church, notice what else happened. Still in Acts chapter 2. It says here, verse 42, the very next thing, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' what? Doctrine. If there was one scourge that I could weed out of the Seventh Adventist Church, well, there's probably many of them, but one in particular for our purposes today that's crippling our people, to this, we rightfully push back against a once saved, always saved religion. Right? Because you can't have that. But we subtly accept a once learned, always learned. You'll hear people, I came into the message in 86, and I haven't left yet. Well, big deal. You're not supposed to leave. <laughs> That's not an accomplishment. You're not like climbing a mountain here. You know, you're still, of course you're still here. Where else would you go? You should be like the apostles. Where else can we go? You've got the word of truth. What can I do? Right? But the idea, but I guarantee there are people. Oh, and trust me, we got these evangelistic campaigns coming up. You're going to have people in your local church who say, I don't want to go to that. I've heard that all before. The truly converted people kept going in the doctrine, right? Because they knew they were going to grow from the Word. By the way, those same people who don't want to go because they know it all say, oh, praise the Lord. Then can you present Daniel chapter 9 in one of our meetings? Ooh, I mean, it's just the 70-week prophecy, right? Go for it. Or, or pick something easy. Go to Daniel 8, the 2300 days. Go ahead and explain Christ's high priestly ministry to complete strangers using time prophecy. Go. I mean, you know it so well, you're not even going to show up, right? Anyway, that's another soapbox. I'll stop. But the purpose of Sabbath school is to continue in the doctrine for growth. Look at this in... Um, First Peter, right there in your study, and I didn't have the Acts passage in there. You can just write it in your study, guys. I mean, you can, it's your piece of paper. You can do whatever you want with it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes, right? This is what those people were here. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of what? The word that you may grow thereby. One of the reasons we lack in spiritual growth is because we've stopped studying the Bible. We don't have our personal devotions. We don't have a small group Bible study class. We're not using a lesson to study the Bible. We're not, we may just pick up a sermon, but what you're getting there is secondary food. You're getting his study of the Bible processed, and you're getting, it's not the source, the pure milk of the word, right? You've got to be in the word itself. Notice that even in Acts chapter 2, Peter didn't just preach his own opinions. He didn't even preach his own personal experience, which was rich. He preached the word, right? When the apostle Paul told Timothy, what are you supposed to do in his ministry? He said, do the work of an evangelist and preach the word, right? The word is where the power is. We know this. So let's keep going. For this reason, the significance of the Sabbath school Bible study class can hardly be overstated as an opportunity for members to strengthen their hold on Christ and for visitors to be stirred by the power of his word. New people need the Bible just as much as old people. All people need the word of God to continue to grow. So 
Regular instruction in Bible truth and practical Christian living is not a new idea. This is not a New Testamental thing. It didn't start on the day of Pentecost. You know this, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's right there in your um, worksheets. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and there shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The idea being that it's not just a big granite uh, stone, you know, uh, writing of the law of God that you refer to. It's supposed to be in your home. It's supposed to be in your daily life when you rise up and down. It's supposed to be an ongoing growth in the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament. And of course, we have to say this. Anytime we say Bible study, it goes with almost without saying that Bible study necessitates prayer. Okay? Notice this statement from Christian Education, page 58. Never should the Bible be studied without prayer. Before opening its pages, we should ask for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. And notice that next part. And it will be given. If you want to learn, the Word of God has been given as a gift so we can know Him. The Holy Spirit has been given as a gift so we can understand the Word that was already given. We got a double gift in the Bible and the leading of the Holy Spirit. The question is, do you actually want it? If you want it, it's there. Okay? Now, let's get a little bit more practical. I think that we're all in agreement that we should have Bible study in our ongoing Christian experience and that the Sabbath school Bible class is important. But let's get practical. Let's put school back in Sabbath school. Many have assumed or been told that the way to make a Sabbath school class less boring is that teachers uh, should try and make a more discussion, less instruction approach. Now, you might be practicing this in your church I understand the motive it comes from. I know it's a very popular thing. It might just be what everybody's always done. You never even thought to question it. Okay? But there's a move currently, and in recent years, away from teachers teaching to just facilitators that moderate a discussion. Now, the reason why probably comes from a good motive. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here or anything, but I'm guessing that that's a reaction to poor teaching and it comes across as professorial lecture, kind of like, you know, just a preaching type of thing. You're just going on and on and on. And so we say, oh, we don't want that. So what we need to do is have this over here. So instead of like rows and everything where a guy's just doing this, since we don't want that, we'll take all the chairs and put them in a circle, get the guy to sit down instead of stand up and just say, what did you think about this? What did you think about this? What did you think about this? And let me tell you, that's just as bad, if not worse, than the other thing. True story, went to a class in college. I'll be honest, I, well, I, (laughs) some of you have ever heard this, I don't like saying that phrase, I'll be honest with you, because it assumes that I haven't been honest up until this point. It's like, let me switch to honest mode. So I'll just say, I'll be transparent with you here, and I don't particularly enjoy education classes. And that's putting it mildly. Okay? One of them in particular completely, it just really bugged me, because the teacher came in, uh, and she said, I'm not here to be your teacher. I'm here to be a learner with you. 
And I said, I want my money back. <laughs> right? I did not come here to like learn stuff I already know, because if you already know it, that's not learning. I need you to lead me to something I didn't know yet. See what I'm saying? Your job is to take us to a deeper understanding, not to just facilitate, oh, what did you think? And what did you think? I don't want opinions. I want truth. Right? In, the, in so many words. I say it better now. But, uh, <laughs> but it, I, I did discuss that. Like, this is not you got to be kidding me. And this is college level. It's not like community college or like one of those states where it's free now. Like I had to pay like, and my parents had to pay. And I was going through this. I was, you better teach me something. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, it seems on the surface gracious and nice and warm. and re- It's all of those fuzzy things we want, but it's bad for people. Okay, let me just say it like that. Okay, now that's not defending lecture. But I will say I prefer lecture over this, okay? Now, let's dive into a little bit more. Instead of classroom setting, chairs are placed around a table or in a circle to encourage people to share. In such instances, instead of actually teaching the lesson, teachers merely moderate a class discussion. Some churches have even dropped the term teacher altogether and instead call them Sabbath school facilitators or something. And maybe that's what's happening in your church. And I hope not, but anyway. While discussion is an essential part of keeping the students engaged in the lesson, comes a problem when the students are doing more teaching than the teacher. People come in and say, like, what did we learn today in Sabbath school? I don't know what we learned. I know what we heard. I can't say that I learned anything. But I heard a lot of things. And a lot of things that we heard were contradictory. Were, and, and, and I've seen teachers do this too. They don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Someone will say something just off the rails bananas. And then she's like, yes, come on. And affirm it in front of people who may not know that that's crazy. Right? And so now you've got an echo chamber of weird opinions. And at least, at least we were together to do it. I mean, it was... But I'm not sure that that's beneficial. In fact, I'd say that's actually detrimental. Okay? So... By the way, right here what I'm doing now, this is a lecture. And I'm sure it could be better. I'm not doubting that. But I don't think the right thing to do is like everybody in this room now, get in a circle and just start spouting off. And I'd just affirm whatever. No. You're coming here because I put thought into this and made the outline and can lead you through it, right? Now, there are times we'll call on people and ask for a question or a testimony or have some input. That's fine. But as the teacher, my role is to keep the thing moving in a direction so that everybody's learning. Right? Now, we need to deal with the crazy comment. I appreciate that, but I think you might be a little bit off on that. Let's look back at the text and see what the Bible says about that, right? Or like maybe that's a thing we could bring up at another time, but I don't think that's actually what we're talking about here today. You know, you say that's nice, but it's not now. You know? so there's diplomatic ways to do that, but your job is to guide us through this study of the Word as a teacher, okay? Let's not abnegate that role. Now, look look at Ecclesiastes. I want you to see that this is in the Bible. Mark Howard brought this to my attention, and it is fantastic, okay? Um, The wisest man ever to live, 
I guess, why is this fully human ever to live? Of course, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to study this little passage together, and you see if we're reading this correctly. I have a hunch it's right, but take a look for yourself. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. Now, clearly, the context of whatever is about to be said is the is going to the house of God, going to the synagogue, going to church, right? Okay? And it says, be careful, walk prudently as you go there. And draw near, for what purpose? To hear, rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. Now, what is, now notice, without, without going on, apparently hearing is being contrasted against whatever this sacrifice of fools is. Okay? It sets up these two choices. Now let's keep reading. For they do not know that they do evil. I assume that's those who are offering the sacrifice of fools. They don't recognize how bad what they're doing is. It goes on to explain, verse 2, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. Now, does that mean we cannot speak? No. But it's cautioning, don't speak too quickly, too rashly. Don't shoot from the hip if you haven't thought it through first. Okay, keeps going. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be what? Few. For a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. There's that word fool again. From this, it started with the sacrifice of fools, and apparently this fool is known by his what? Many words. Okay? Apparently, the sacrifice of fools involves talking too quickly and too often in church when you should be listening and learning. I think we need to not only teach teachers how to teach, I think we need to teach students how to learn. In fact, I give an entire sermon called How to Listen to a Sermon. Like, for instance, when you go to listen to a sermon, I don't have time for this either because you're not here to be how to, good, how to be a good receiver, but let me just tell you very quickly. Most people don't listen for the purpose of putting what they heard to any use. We start to judge it by its performance, its oratory, instead of its practical usefulness. So when people say, oh, that was a great sermon, what do they mean? What they usually mean, probably, is that it was well-spoken, it was smooth and flowing, it had some interesting illustrations, it might have, you know, but was it biblically solid? Was it practical and clear? Do you have a plan to go use that and share that with someone else, or was it just another performance that you appreciated? If you start listening to sermons and any other teaching that way, you will stop, I mean, you listen for content instead of form. It's going to turn all those, and I know that they're out there, dull as paint, dry, boring sermons into life. The illustration I give there is if you ran into the shopping, if you went to a shopping center, like say a grocery store or something on a Friday, and you ran into your Sunday keeping, you know, like, fire-breathing, evangelical, you know, Baptist brethren or something, 
and you guys are good friends in some other context, and he comes up and says, hey, look, our, uh, our Sunday school teacher is going to be gone this Sunday, and I know you guys have some different perspectives on the Word of God, and we're actually uh, going through a Bible study on the topic of hell. And uh, we were, I was wondering if you could come and share your understanding of what the Bible says about hell this Sunday. You say, I praise the Lord for the opportunity, yes. Yeah. So you get a church full of, you know, eternal hell, you know, turn or burn Baptists, right? And they're going to hear you talk about hell from the Bible. Now, three aisles down, you say, all right, I'll, I'll deal, do it. And you right. kind of sweat and you're, you're excited, you're scared, you're all this kind of thing. And you, get, you run into your own pastor. You say, oh, pastor, you'll never know what just happened. You tell them the story. This Sunday, he said, look, this is not an accident. This is a divine appointment. Here's why. Because our sermon this Sabbath is called The Good News About Hell. Quick question. How are you going to listen differently that Sabbath? Now, tell me practically. How are you going to listen differently? No, 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 no. He, no, no, no. But in all seriousness, he doesn't know your church. He doesn't know your pastor. He only knows you. You are the conduit. What are you going to do? Take notes. By the way, how are you going to take notes? I would imagine. They thank you, but I wasn't. Yeah, but. But that's good, but let me, let me tell you something. I, I would love to teach class on how to take notes. Okay, what things are you going to write down? You're probably going to write down a title. How did he open up the thing? Did he have a startling statistic? Did he have an interesting text? Like, because you're going to looking, you're not just looking for random, you know, buckshot. You want that bullet, how this goes to this, and therefore, boom, this. You're trying to land this plane, right? Right, and so, you, thank you. You're going to get the CD. You're probably going to listen to it twice. But let me ask you a question. What if he wasn't particularly engaging in his presentation? You don't care. <laughs> you could care less if he was soft-spoken, if he was kind of mealy-mouthed, or if he was funny, or if he was gregarious. You don't care about that at all. You're there for content. Because on the other side of Sabbath, you've got an appointment. And you're going to talk to him after church. You're like, now, you're not there. To, you wouldn't dare speak up in that sermon. You're just absorbing every there. Because you're going to let your words be few. You're not going to offer the sacrifice of fools because you're there to get something. And the reason you want it so bad is because you know you've got to put it to use. Okay? And this is going to tie into our, our, our talk here, but teachers and, and well, students don't expect practical application out of Sabbath school. And teachers often don't make appeals and say, put this to use this way. We don't think from practical. We think that studying the Bible is just philosophical or theological or esoteric, ethereal, instead of every day doing something with it, right? So you go through, and that's why the bell can interrupt when you're getting through Tuesday's lesson. Like, oh, we just didn't get through it. Oh, well, all right. By the way, your goal isn't to get through the lesson. Your goal is to teach concepts from the Bible. You're not here to teach the lesson. You're here to teach the scripture. The lesson is just a helpful aid to help you do that job. But what we do is we said, it's our lesson study. It's not a lesson study class. It's a Bible study class. Okay? We're kind of moving into our next point here, but I could keep an eye on the clock a little bit. But let's keep going where we were saying. Um, Sabbath school, at the bottom of the first page there, uh, Sabbath school Bible study class should be more than a hollow round of opinions. Sabbath school teachers should actually what? Teach. 
Now listen, encourage audience participation and input, yes, but do not relinquish your role as the leader of that class. That's your job. That's why you get paid the big volunteer bucks. Okay? Your goal is not to be a lecturing professor nor a passive moderator, but an effective teacher. That's the goal. Notice how they responded to Jesus. You know, the, the Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, when it was all said and done, the Bible says this, verses 28 and 29, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching. And what made his teaching so powerful? For he taught them as one having what? Authority, and not as the scribes. So the scribes, you know, of course you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, some believed in resurrection, some didn't, some believed in miracles, some didn't, some were more, uh, were more liberal in their lifestyle, others were more, and they would go back and forth, and this poor people, all they would hear was this and that, I think this, and I think this, and uh, sister so-and-so lives this way, a brother or rabbi, this has taught us this, and, and just all these confusing, and Jesus would walk up and take the word of God, you have heard it said, but I say. And he would take the word of God, like for instance, the commandments, thou shalt not kill. So let me tell you something. It's deeper than you ever thought. I'm going to apply this to your life in practical terms. If you start looking at somebody with anger, get jealousy, evil surmising, start calling it, you're killing in your heart. Okay? He said, no, let's take it to another one. Go to adultery. You guys are living up here on this superficial, like how many wives can I have kind of thing, right? Like, let's go to the heart of the matter. You know, and he, so we, we take these principles and make it practical. And he wasn't like saying, I think you should probably maybe, no. He said, the Bible says this, therefore this. And the people, it must have been like, you know, a draft of cool air or cold water coming down the mountain, you know. Just kind of, oh, wow, that is refreshing. They were astonished, not at his illustrations, not at his personality. Teaching had authority. When people come to your Sabbath school class, they should be astonished, not at your personality, how persuasive you, but the power is in the word. And if you can effectively communicate the truth of the word in a relevant, practical, not just convincing, but convicting way, trust me, they're going to come back. By God's grace, they're going to come back better than they were before. Different. Change. That's the goal. Anyway, so I would urge you to push back against the trend of entertaining and make it, what Ms. White says, intensely interesting. All right, study the Bible. Most Sabbath school classes study the lesson instead of the Bible. The purpose of the lesson is to guide us to a deeper study of the Bible. Sabbath school teachers should study the lesson ahead of time and decide which key ideas and Bible passages to focus on. Let's spend a minute here. Uh, I have my little Sabbath school quarterly. Did any of you get to see the Sabbath school panel discussion this last Sabbath on the platform? Okay. If you notice, we're trying, and I'm, I'm doing an effort at this. I will say it overtly and people won't hear it either way, but I'm trying to use the camp meeting Sabbath school time as a model for how the local church Sabbath school time should run. So you had two components. You had the mission program first, and then the longer chunk, which is the Bible study lesson. Okay? 
That's what a local church should look like. That's what a local church Sabbath is. There should be a program at first, a plenary program up front, everybody all together, but it shouldn't be, and we're going to get into this when we get to the mission program, it's not just chicken soup for the soul, read by the superintendent. There's a purpose for you being there, and it's to drive the mission of the church. Okay? We'll get to that later. But then when you get to your Bible study class, when you actually turn to it, I can't tell you how many lessons, how many times, uh, no problem, we'll just say it was the Holy Spirit. That's what you were wrong. It's okay. <laughs> this is this is my copy of it from this from this last week's Sabbath school. Now this is the only place I took notes, but I just jotted some things, underlined a few things. But you'll notice, put a check mark here. Hey, there's some information on this page we want to talk about. But I did not get up and just go. All right, on Sabbath afternoons lesson, it said that, and we just and we think that our goal is okay. I've got 45 minutes, or I've got an hour, whatever chunk of time, and I should divide it in equal sevenths. Right? One-seventh here, one-seventh there, and that will be an effective... Don't do that. Please don't do that. Invariably, what happens is, someone... Because if you combine that, my goal is to get through the lesson, with the, we want everybody to say their thoughts. Every single time. Well, we got to Monday's lesson, and there's the bell. And two things are evident. Number one, your goal was just to get through the lesson. Number two, you failed. You didn't even do that. Right? What you should do, because as we were going through here, you'll notice I've got some check marks and a lot of pages. I've got a couple of notes. But like on Tuesday's lesson, X. I'm not going to talk about Tuesday's lesson. There wasn't enough in there for me to say this warrants our time. Now, that's not to say that anything in there was bad or wrong or heretical or anything like that. It's just not where we're going this week. Okay? So you study it out and you say, oh, that's an interesting... We could have a discussion about that passage. For instance, there was one in um, uh, Acts chapter 10 on Sunday's lesson. You know, what can we learn about our need to overcome our... You know, and it's the story of Cornelius. Well, there's a chunk of scripture that we can discuss. And I'm going to lead out in discussion and say, like, as you look through this, notice this and this and this. And then you can have a few input things and let's move on, right? But that, what we would encourage you to do is go through your lesson and pick maybe, say, three points that you're going to get out of this lesson. And your goal isn't to teach the lesson. Your goal is to teach these key points that are coming from the Bible that your lesson indicated, right, that led you to. So this is a springboard to study the Scripture, okay? So, but oftentimes what we'll do is study this in hand and have the Bible on the side and looking at it occasionally, but this is our text. This is not the textbook. The Bible is the textbook, okay? We know that. But as teachers and leaders... Stop thinking of your goal is to get through the week's lesson. It's not. Your goal is to study the lesson ahead of time, using that to help you understand what the Bible is teaching, and then teach the Word in the Sabbath school class, assuming that everybody else has already read their lesson too. I know you're like, I know it's a, I didn't say trusting that they had, but just have the attitude of assumption. Right? Now, I assume we studied this. Now, on, lessons, on Sunday's lesson, we brought out this really interesting book. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. Let's read about this story of Cornelius. So even if they didn't study the lesson, they're going to get the Bible thing. But you studied your lesson so that you can lead them to the Bible. But your goal isn't to introduce them. They had this lesson. Let's walk through. Because, by the way, if we do this one seventh, what's the point of me even studying at home anyway? If our goal on Sabbath morning is to go through all seven days, then I, and people have been trained, I don't need to study my lesson. We're going to go through it again. 
The goal is to study it on your own during the week so that when we come together, we're prepared to have a rich, deep, vibrant study of the Bible. So when you go through, you're not looking, you know, because honestly, I don't know, really know why you'd need to study even as a teacher ahead of time. It's just reading through the thing, right? But like, what is the main point they're trying to say here? Kind of jot it down on the side and then do that for each day and then say, or what are some things I can draw out of this text? And as you go through, this seems to be a theme that's emerging. Let's take this and really explore it. And here's another thought that comes in. And so you're picking out those key ideas from the scripture to, to study together when you come to Sabbath morning, okay? So it would be totally fine with me if we went to a Sabbath school class and they referred to it, okay? Good lesson this week. We talked about this, maybe. And then put it down and say, all right, let's take up our Bibles, right? Now, they might have made some few notes, or you can turn to it as a reference, but notice this is now the primary text, and you're just glancing at this for reference. Where most of the time, it's going like this. This is the primary text, and we only glance at this for reference. See what I'm saying? I'm not getting rid of this. I'm just saying we need to put it back where it belongs as a reference, as a support to the a lesser light, right? <laughs> to the greater light. See what I'm saying? So I would love to see Sabbath school teachers having this in their hands and this on the pew beside them. Not throwing it under the bus, not burning it, not saying it because that's what some people do. We don't need that. I'm just going to say, no, this has been put together through thoughtful time and prayer. And, but also, let's, for what it's worth, let's also realize that this is not inspired. It's a good committee work with a good contributor and they probably mean well, but I can tell you, especially in the last guy. Almost every quarter, <laughs> there's something in there that you're like, mm, now I don't know about how you said that, or I'm not sure where you're going with that one, brother. Come on back, you know. Mm. And you are a guardian of the, you're a defender of the faith when you stand up to teach Sabbath school. And you're not trying to discredit anyone's name or smear their character or anything like that, but you might want to say, you know, they made it, they brought out a point on Wednesday's lesson that. I'm not sure we, let's look at the Bible to make sure we're going to, that is our, you know what I'm saying? Whether it's, you know, the, something deep in the prophecies of Revelation, like we had, there were some issues there. And, you know, either the family stuff or what's coming next is going to, I'm just telling you that this is not our guide. This is a guide to the guide. We've got to understand that distinction. Are we all on the same page now? Okay, good. Let's keep moving. Um... With your class, draw the key ideas from the Bible, referencing specific points from the lesson only when it contributes to the presentation. Let's move to emphasize practical application. Now, this is one of those areas that I find just as missing as the thing we just discussed. And I kind of referred to it earlier. We don't teach with a goal in mind. If we have a goal, it's just getting through the material, right? But there should be a greater goal than just convincing people of the truth or just getting through the material. Listen to these statements here. Again, I would encourage you to read councils on Sabbath school work. Well, first of all, look at 2 Timothy 3.16. It's in your notes. Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that, or you could say, so that, or for the purpose of, with the goal being, right? The Bible is given, and it's good for all these things, 
but with the ultimate objective to be that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. That it's not just theory, but we need practical application. That you're going to learn the doctrine so you can do good works. That you're going to be corrected by the word of God so that you can put it into practice in the life. We should teach with an aim of making practical application of the things we're discussing. Okay? Notice the Sabbath Council of Sabbath School work, page 10. The Sabbath school is an important branch of the missionary work, not only because it gives to young and old a knowledge of God's word. Now, we would think that would be the highest thing. We want to teach the word, but it's more than a knowledge of the word. She continues. But because it awakens in them a love for its sacred truths. Now, that's a difference. Knowing that something is true and loving that truth. By the way, does the... Fascinating, you read through the scriptures, people were always questioning Jesus' identity. I mean, not just, of course, the scribes and Pharisees. They were always like, who do you think you are, by what? But his disciples would question his identity. Uh, it had to be so discouraging. Lord, show us the Father. And it's, he's like, that's my whole thing, was showing you the Father. If you've seen me, you, you know, had to be like, what do you think you've been following all this time? You know, like, you're a really good teacher. When can we see God? It's like, <laughs> how staggering that must have been. Think of how discouraging this would have been when John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the one or should we look for another? Oh, you got to be kidding me, right? Even his own mother. His brothers didn't believe. Okay? So, we were going somewhere with that. <laughs> oh, he, he would, the evidence Jesus would always give for his teaching, having authority, was the good works that you saw come out of, the fruit of his ministry. He says, if you don't believe my words, at least believe the works that I do. Right? That here's the thing, his good works, the practical application of that theory, was what gave the message credibility. It was the application of it that he could point to and say, look, you may not understand or believe my teaching, but look at the works I do, right? The, the, the works are the goal of the words. He gives us those words so that we become equipped for every good work, that we put it into practice, right? And it's that practical application um, so notice we hear again the statement, page 10 of Councils on Sabbath School Word. Sabbath School is an important branch of the missionary work, not only because it gives to young a knowledge of God's word, but because it awakens in them a love for its truth and a desire to study for themselves. And then she says, above all, so not only do they love it, that's the goal, but also it teaches them to regulate their lives by its holy teachings. So notice there's those three steps, convincing that it's true, convicting that they, it applies to them. They're really cut in the heart. They feel it, right? But above all, it teaches them to regulate their lives by its holy teachings. It'll actually change the life. You'll do something different because of it. Again, page 11 of the same compilation. There are sacred responsibilities entrusted to Sabbath school workers, and the Sabbath school should be the place where, through a living connection with God, men and women, youth and children, may be so fitted up that they shall be a strength and blessing to the church. They should help the church upward and onward as far as it lies in their ability, going from strength to greater strength. 
that out of our Sabbath school classes should come a a group of people who are equipped for every good work. That they not only know the truth, they have a love for the truth, and they're going to start molding their lives according to its commands. Okay? This is woefully missing in many of our Sabbath school classes. Oftentimes we go through just to get to the end of the material. And I'll tell you, I've been, confession is good for the soul, but I have kind of, I'm not good at making appeals. And I say that as someone who does evangelistic meetings. And I'll tell you how I'm bad at it. Because I can get away with it. I can fake it. But now you're going to watch for people. And you're going to say, that? You're like, that was a fake appeal. I saw what you just did there, you <laughs> sneaky preacher. I love logic. I love to see the text. This leads to this, therefore this. You know, a good geometric proof. It's beautiful. But what's... But there's more that's needed than people just understanding a message. They need to apply the message. And it's very tempting as a teacher, as a presenter, to say what I say almost every single time. Friends, tonight, if you've understood the word, the message that we've talked about, or let's say it's the seven-day Sabbath, how many of you here tonight understood our message? Can you put your hand up? Everybody in the room is going to raise their hand. Of course it was clear. Yeah, I mean, the Bible's clear, and I do a pretty good job. And I want to say, like, look, beautiful. They've responded to the appeal. But you didn't ask him the real question. The real question is not, do you understand the Sabbath? What should the appeal be? Are you going to keep the Sabbath? Now, friends, how many of you this week are going to keep Sabbath, maybe even for the very first time? You know why I don't want to ask that question? Because I know the first question's easy. I'm going to have that sweeping camera 3ABN moment, right? <laughs> amen. Oh, amen. Oh, with hands held high, let's bow our heads. You're not ready to pray yet. Now, let me illustrate this in my life in an embarrassing way. Um, when I was courting my wife, we were dating, and, and, I, and I knew that I was going to marry her, and I was excited about it. I, she was taking classes in Washington, D.C. at the time, and uh, I was in Florida, but I flew up there, and I was going to spend Valentine's weekend with her. You know, I mean, come on, the jig is up. I'm going to ask you to marry Valentine. And uh, I told her, I said, look, here's the thing. You go to class today, you get your homework done early, because we're going to go out tonight, and we're going to dress up. We're going to look nice when we do it. So she goes off to class, and I spend the day arranging our evening date. Okay? I go to the most, I don't know anything about fancy restaurants. I just wanted it to be expensive. That's all I knew. And I, I got that. That was never happening again. Um, but, but I went there and I picked out the spot. I made sure we had a reservation. I told them how to pronounce my name. I don't want this whole uh, Mr. Devisher. You're, no, 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 no. It's Devasure and your table is ready. We'll look smooth tonight. It's going to be nice. And I picked out the spot. So anyway, I go to the restaurant and it was, she was very happy and it was good. And, and I kind of wanted to draw it out a little bit. So we had this nice meal and everything, clear the plates. And I said, all right, you ready to go? She knew something was coming. But when I was like, we're done, let's go. She's like, okay. 
Okay? We walk out. I said, you know what? Before we go to the car, or before we go home, let's, uh, let's make one more stop. I had this spot picked out. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but <laughs> this is our special spot. You don't have to know. Anyway, so I go there, and I had a little gift for her. I had a Bible. I had written this nice thing. It was just, it was nice. Weather was nice. I got down on my knee. And I read this speech. Literally, tears coming from my eyes. I know, it's, I'm, it's good. Right? <laughs> I got down, and I looked up at her, and I said, Emily, I would be honored. You would be my wife. And for what seemed like an eternity, <laughs> she didn't say a word. She was, she was uh, smiling. She wasn't running away or anything. It wasn't bad. She didn't slap me. She, she was just like, <laughs> and, and, and I was sitting there with my face all hanging out and on my knee and everything. She's, and finally she was like, okay, yeah. Stood up and hugged And I was like, you got back to her. I was like, look, was it just me? To, was that weird? What, what happened? What just happened? And so we're dry, she's like, well, I mean, technically, you never asked me anything, right? You just stated that it would be nice <laughs> that you would like it if that would happen. And I was like, that's good. I'm glad you would like that. I'm glad you'd be honored. But when it, and I thought I asked the question, but she never heard it. It never came out. I just made a statement instead of asking a question, right? We need to make pointed, specific appeals. Ask the thing we're trying to ask. This world is full of anti-social media. You know, we've lost this dynamic of just looking at people and talking to them and saying what we intend to say, asking what we need to say. You know what I'm saying? So, as Sabbath school teachers, make practical appeals. Don't say, "Friends, did you guys understand about you know?" Right now, we're talking about family dynamics, right? Be specific. Friends, I'm going to encourage you, or in fact, I want to even appeal to you today. Don't just let this lesson sit on a shelf. Go home. Be more patient with your kids. How many of you want to make a commitment today? You want to be more patient with your kids. Or you want to be, you know what I'm saying? And you're already like, this is an appeal for me. <laughs> and this is just a practice one. But I'm saying, if Sabbath school teachers recognize your job isn't just to convey information, it's to deepen the conviction and mold people more like Jesus. I'm not just trying to get through the lesson. I'm trying to win that soul and make them more like Jesus. That's our goal, right? So Sabbath school teachers have that practical application in mind and make earnest appeals. Let's close with this. When Christ taught, he was interested in more, and merely, in more than merely conveying information. Listen to this statement from Desire of Ages 255. You know, I've, I've watched a lot of these Jesus video things, and I don't like how they portray Jesus oftentimes. They'll either try to make him silly or they make him so like, like he's a, you know, some sort of like a Buddha figure who's just kind of looking off into space and spouting off nuggets of wisdom. But notice what Mrs. White tells us about how he taught. Jesus watched with deep earnestness the changing countenances of his hearers. And sometimes those count, you know, the countenances, your face and your affect, your body language, right? He was looking. He was looking for how people respond. His goal wasn't just to convey the information. He wanted to change that heart. He wanted to win them. So he's looking at their eyes, looking at their... And you can tell 
When, somebody, when the light bulb goes on, you can tell. When the conviction hits the heart, you can tell. Sometimes it's going to be happy, sometimes it's going to be sad, sometimes it's going to be, but they're not bored. They're with you. Jesus is watching for that. As the arrows of truth pierce to the soul, breaking through the barriers of selfishness and working contrition, and finally gratitude, the Savior was made glad. That's the joy we should have from teaching an effective Sabbath school class, is watching the truth change someone and leading to Jesus. So every Sabbath school teacher should know the joy of seeing the members of their class grow in their understanding of God's Word, keeping their commitments to Christ, and learning how to share that Word with others. That's our ultimate objective in the Sabbath School Bible study class. We have one minute left. One thing we did not mention in all of this is the Sabbath School teacher's responsibility to be a mission facilitator too. Okay? We were just talking about the Bible study and prayer aspect of it. But when we get to the mission focus of Sabbath school, it's not just in the mission program, it's also in the Bible class, right? So actually helping provide opportunities to put into practice the things we've learned and mission outreach uh, opportunity, that's going to be a key thing too. And we're going to definitely hit that tomorrow. Thank you for that. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. We're going to talk about that. That's going to be... Exactly. That's going to be in our... Po- Those are some practical nuts and bolts things that don't exactly fit here, but there's things we all wrestle with. So on our last day, you don't want to miss that one, we're going to talk about those types of practical, like uh, how to get attendance to go up and how to get them to be on time and all that kind of stuff. And please don't think that I'm going to have the, the answer, but we can at least give you some good help, okay? Awesome. All right, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day to study together. Please help us, especially in the Sabbath schools of our local churches, to not just settle for conveying information or lecturing or just moderating a discussion. Lord, help us be true soul winners after the great soul winner, Jesus Christ. Help us to teach the word as one who has authority. Help us to make earnest, specific appeals for practical application. By our humble efforts and your mighty power, help us to see revival and a reformation amongst our people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.